0: Luke chapter 13, uh, just looking at the first 17 verses, and I've called this repentance and release. So how we get to turn around, how we get to set people free. So you look at three different things essentially, Um, a sermon, a parable, and then a miracle. Uh, And we'll have a look at each of those in turn. So starting off with the sermon, so this is Luke chapter 13 from verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all perish. You see, this passage follows um, chapter twelve, amazingly. Um, and in there, Jesus is talking about the people, and he called them hypocrites. Luke twelve, fifty six. He says, Hypocrites, you know how to interpret The appearance of the earth and sky. How is it you don't understand how to interpret this present time? And then we have this strange um, event. We don't really know much more detail apart from this one sentence here about these Galileans who were apparently murdered by Pilate on, on, on Pilate's instructions in the act of worship, in the act of bringing their sacrifice. And the people wanted to try and interpret that horrible event they were trying to think in their heads, what's this all about? Were these people really, really bad, that they had to be punished in this way? You see, people in Judea, around Jerusalem, where Jesus was speaking, they saw Galileans as those folk from tup north who were a little bit different. They spoke with a funny accent, because they came from tup north. Um And they were a bit rough, and they were a bit ready, and um, they weren't quite as refined as the Judean folk. And so they tended to get looked down upon by the Judeans. And, um, the, 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 you know, the Judeans were feeling a bit more superior, possibly, because these, this terrible thing happened to them because they weren't such terrible sinners as the Galileans were. Um, you see, I mean, to put it into context, imagine, actually, it has happened not so very long ago. Uh, people gathering together to worship God in an act of worship in a church service, bunch of terrorists rush through the front door and murder all the people in the church wouldn't that be an awful thing to happen only it does and how do we interpret that do we say those people were so bad that God had to punish them in that way no we wouldn't even think about that would we but that's the attitude that these these folk had and this is what Jesus was challenging so he turns it around and says well actually look at this event the Tower of Siloam that fell on them. That fell on Judeans, the people that you think you're, you are better than those Galileans up north. Um, so, were they more guilty than you? No, you're not, no, they're not. Interesting. Tower of Siloam, we don't know much about it. I think they found some ruins of a circular structure near the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam is interesting because it's the place where people, poor people in particular, went to wash ceremonially to get themselves spiritually clean before they went up the hill into the the temple so could you you could imagine people gathering in that place and the tower falling on them and thinking wow they can't get themselves clean they can't sort themselves out before god god's punishing them before they even get to the point where they can worship was this god's punishment judgment on people who were so bad that their sin could not be washed away And Jesus turns it around and he says, no, no, but you repent or you will all perish. And repentance is an interesting idea, isn't it? It's something that those fire and brimstone preachers would use a lot. And usually it was about challenging people to turn from their wicked ways, all those awful things they got involved with. It was John the Baptist's message in, uh, back in the beginning of Luke in chapter 3. It says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see, repentance is defined as turning around, changing our direction, changing our our thoughts, changing our our mindset. We rejoice in a gospel that says, Jesus died for my sin so I can be forgiven. He's done it and made a way that... For me to be brought back to my right place as a friend of God. And that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus paid for my sin. It's dealt with. I don't have to worry about the the penalty for sin. It's done with. But I still have a responsibility to repent. To turn around. And John talked about the fruit of repentance. And what does that look like? Well, for the people that came to John, it was, if you've got two coats, we'll hand one over to someone who has none. And if you've got food to spare, then hand it over to those that haven't. You see, it's about acts of generosity. It's not about those wicked sins that you used to be in, that you need to put to one side. It's it's about changing your attitude, changing your actions. For tax collectors, it was act fairly. Don't cheat people. Act with honesty and integrity. Treat people fairly with justice. And not just those that are right in front of you, but those that that you touch their lives. This amazing globe that we live on, we touch people's lives right across the, 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 the world, don't we? In the choices that we make, in the things that we buy, in the places we go, in the way that we live. We affect this world. Try to tr- treat people with honesty and integrity. For the soldiers, it was don't extort or falsely accuse. You see, if you had a, uh, if you were in a position of authority in that place, then you had the opportunity. I mean, uh, to, to take advantage of people around you, and when you got a squad of soldiers to back you up, they kind of had to do what you asked them to do. But uh, Jesus says, no, act truthfully and use the power that you have wisely and to the benefit of those around you, not to harm them, but to do them good. It sounds a bit like the culture of honor, doesn't it? It sounds a bit like how we are trying to work ourselves together as a church family to look upon one another as God sees us and to treat one another as God would want us to be treated. And John was saying all this to people who hadn't got the benefit of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't got that indwelling power that we enjoy. How much more can we achieve in partnership with him? How much more can we do in this world to bring some of the um, presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God into our interactions with people? Everybody that we meet face to face, day by day. In Romans twelve two, 2, Paul talks about a renewed mind, leading us to know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that's what repentance is about. It's about having your mind renewed, about changing your thought patterns. And when we do that, we know what God's will is, what pleases him, and what, what brings pleasure to his creation. And we get to do that stuff. So, for many of us, repentance has been that negative thing, isn't it? It's about, oh gosh, all those wicked things I used to do, I've got, got to stop those now. It's about um, turning away from sin. It, came, it starts off with, thou shalt not, doesn't it? But I believe that it's, it's much more than that. It's a turning towards a life of joyfully expressing the love of God in his world. It's a little bit corny, forgive me. But when we talk about Jesus as the head of the church, and we are his body, well, guess which bits the hands and the feet are attached to? So we get to be the hands and feet of God. We get to be the ones who... Interact with the world. So, where does he want these feet to take me today? What does he want me, these hands, to do for him today? What does he want my my voice to speak today? How does he want me to bring his grace and love to those around? This is the fruit of repentance. This is what it looks like when you truly had your mind renewed. It's not the absence of the sin. You fill your life up with so much good stuff, there's no room for the sin anymore. We fill our lives with acts of love demonstrating God's goodness. So, how will you repent this week? What are you going to do differently? How are you going to turn your life around? So that was the sermon. Moving on to the parable... Jesus told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit in it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And I was thinking about this parable this week and um, I'm not a horticulturalist. I but I was I was kinda hoping that if I go and look in the in the right text I'd find a good reason why you'd want to plant a fig tree in a vineyard. I could find quite a few good reasons why you wouldn't want to plant a fig tree in a vineyard, because they'd kind of get rather big. And they'd shade the vines and stop them from being fruitful. They'd suck all the moisture and the nutrient out of the soil and prevent the vines from producing the fruit that you really wanted. Um, but here we have a man who had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and I don't know why it was there. Perhaps it was... I mean, it does produce a wonderful shade and if you're a, a, a vine dresser and you're working very hard all day in, in amongst the vines it might be nice to sit at the, in the lunchtime under the tra- shade of a, a nice fig tree. But if you've got a fig tree you might at least get some figs from it. It might at least produce something useful. And then I started looking a bit more, and and vineyards often represent the people of Israel. God saw the Israelites as his vineyard. If you look back in um, Isaiah chapter 5, there's a whole bit about the vineyard of God. And fig trees, strangely, represent spiritual leadership. If you are a rabbi who wandered around and you wanted somewhere to stop and, uh, and um, preach a sermon, you'd sit down under a fig tree and people would gather around you and you would teach them. And so fig trees were associated with people who taught. And it's like Jesus was saying to those religious leaders in Israel, you're not producing anything useful. You're not producing any fruit for my people. I'm going to cut you down. And that's kind of harsh. That's hard. But yet, even for these guys, there's grace. There's the, but one more year, Lord. Let's give it one more year. One more opportunity. How many, how many second chances does God give us? There's a wonderful line from a, uh, one of the Wren Collective songs which says, Countless second chances we've been given at the cross. There's always another chance, there is always grace. And he says, well, I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Now, fertilize doesn't mean that nice bag of stuff you get from B&Q. In first century Israel, fertilizer was what came out the back end of the donkeys or the cows or the whatever. Um, I'm trying to think of polite word. There isn't one, really. <laughs> it's muk. It's that stuff, dung, whatever. Um was this Jesus tongue-in-cheek saying, well, the best thing to do with the spiritual leadership is to throw a dung at them. A healthy dose of reality. A bit of understanding what life's really like. God's inclination is to withhold judgment, but to bring grace and a time for change, a time to change, a time for people to repent, a time for people to alter their minds. And it's particularly true for those who are in positions of leadership if you, take the, if you take the responsibility of standing up and bringing something from God, then you need to be pretty sure that there's some fruit in your own life. Because it's not about what we say, it's about what we model. It's about what we demonstrate. It's about what we, people see. Um, I mean, I'm feeling very vulnerable at the moment because I know I'm standing up here talking about, and most, of, many of you wouldn't know who I am. Um, And you probably don't know about who I am or where I've been or what I've done. But um, hopefully those of you who do would say, yes, there is some fruit in his his life that God has has done through him in the past. And they would say, yes, there is something that we can see of of the the presence of God in him. Um, Donna's nodding. Thank you, Donna. (laughs) But yeah, it's true for all of us. We need to model fruitfulness, not just talk about it. We need to demonstrate fruit in our own lives of the presence of God in us and what he does through us. And finally, a miracle. I like miracles. Oh, I do like miracles. More, Lord. Here we go. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant. I mean, isn't that the natural response to a miracle like that? Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. That's the right response to a miracle. Delighted. We know almost nothing about this woman. Um, it's, 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 she's described as being crippled by a spirit. Some sort of a physical affliction. It says she was doubled over, bent over. I haven't got my normal medical people in the m- meeting tonight to, to explain to me what these conditions are. <laughs> um, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, uh, not anything, anything from the medical fraternity. but She had some physical disability... But it says that its origin was spiritual. How did this come about? Did she get involved in something demonic? Or was someone else the cause of this? We don't know. But Jesus describes her as her condition as bound, tied up. He doesn't say that she was in sin. He doesn't say that it was her fault. He doesn't blame her for her condition. He sees He sets the blame firmly where it belongs, on Satan. You see, God doesn't do these things to us. These are the works of the evil one. And it was Jesus' Jesus ministry, Jesus' imperative, was to reverse the works of the evil one. So what was bound, he was duty-bound to unbind, to untie, even if it was on the Sabbath. So this whole event, I mean, I think Jesus deliberately does this on the Sabbath. I think he does it quite a lot, actually. He seemed to take pleasure in challenging people's views about the Sabbath. He got me thinking a bit about the Sabbath as I was working on this this week. (laughs) Where does it come from? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. In the middle of the uh, accounts of the, the Ten Commandments, we have, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So what does that mean? Why was it so important Is why is it, why is it get into God's top ten? I think perhaps for me it rests on what you mean by holy. And holy in this context I think is about being separate, about being distinctive, about being different. And this is a good principle to build into our lives. It's, it's right that we work and it's right that we rest. It's right that we Exercise our our labor and it's right that we find a time to come away from that and to renew ourselves both physically and emotionally and spiritually you see we we work to live we don't live to work work isn't the end it's the means and our security is not in how well we work what my CV looks like what my boss thinks about me my security is in God and I trust in him. For my future and my and my you know the things that I need day by day. He is the one that supplies and I reckon I recognise that and give him glory for that. But it's a good principle to find some time for rest, to time that to, to, to come away from the busyness of life and to and to have some downtime. It's important. It's important for us and it's important for those that we're responsible for our family, our people work for us, whatever and one in seven is not a bad idea seems that seems pretty universal around the world doesn't it this week thing it's interesting back in the uh, end of the 18th century during the French Revolution they thought they'd change it all and they introduced a 10 day week and then they had a three week month and then they had 10 months and then they had four days left over so they didn't want to do with them Um, um, but working 9 days and having 1 day off it just people were wrecked it doesn't work you need time to, time off and 1 in 10 isn't enough 1 in 7 is just about right so what happens when you take remember the sabbath day and make it into a rule it becomes religion it becomes something that we that that drives us rather than benefits us. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So by healing this lady on the Sabbath, he was deliberately exposing their hypocrisy and their uh, religion, their, their rule setting. I mean, they thought that Jesus reaching out his hand and placing it on this woman and saying, be healed, was work. But them getting up in the morning, going to the uh, where they kept the, the, the cattle, the, the whatever, untying them, leaving them out to the pasture, fetching the water from the, the well or the cistern, or whatever, watering the, the that that wasn't work, that wasn't that wasn't work, but laying your hands on oh that was far too busy. You see how we live, you know how it's that mindset thing again, isn't it? Are we going to allow what seems like, it, what, what is a good idea, what is a, a, a righteous concept, allow it to become a, such a, a, a rule or something that, that, that dominates our lives that it, it ceases to have any value anymore? I was trying very hard to, to, to come up with something that would, that would, how can I apply this? I mean, what, is, what, is, what, what are the rules that we make that prevent us from doing good? and the best thought that came into my head as i was thinking about this this week is about boundaries that we set that we say we can't go over that boundary because god isn't in there god doesn't doesn't work in that place you know these people are beyond redemption i can't go there that's too that's that's, that's outside of my uh, where where i feel safe and able to operate. When Elaine and I were first married, we were living in Birmingham, um, in a very nice part of Birmingham, a place called, it was called Rotten Park, but we, everybody called it Rotten Park, because that sounded better. Um, and it was right on the edge of Edgbaston nice part of the city, not, not a bad area. However, the road that we lived upon was a place where ladies of a certain inclination would hang around on street corners and gentlemen of a certain inclination would stop by and pick them up. Um, it has, it, it had that reputation. It, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, that's where we lived. I mean, it wasn't, where, <laughs> I didn't know it when we moved in, but there we go. Um, so how are you going to respond to that? We went to a lovely little Methodist, very traditional Methodist church, and there was, there was the patriarch and matriarch of this church, the sorts of people that were the pillars of the church, you know, they were the most up, upright, righteous, God-fearing people you could imagine. The least likely people you would think to associate with prostitutes. And yet, this lovely lady, Mrs. Bourne, would walk from her house along the street to the church. And if there was a lady standing there waiting for a, a client, she'd stop and engage her in conversation. She'd bring something of God's love to her she'd invite her home for lunch because she had no boundaries. She didn't see this person in terms of what they did but in terms of who they were. A person who was bound up by Satan who needed to be set free. And we need to see people in the same way. We need to see people for who they really are and to cut away any boundaries that Mi Wei want to place upon our lives to say we can't go there. I was reading a a, a bit just this last week from um, a guy, Canon Andrew White, amazing guy, vicar of Baghdad. Fancy that parish? And he was saying, he had made a very genuine invitation to the leadership of ISIS to come for lunch. He was saying to these guys, come and break bread with me. Uh, unfortunately, the response he got back was not so favorable. Uh, and they said, we'd come, but if we did, we'd cut your head off. <laughs> uh, but he wasn't seeing them as people beyond redemption. He was seeing them as people who were bound up by Satan, who needed to be set free. So what no-go areas do we have? What places do we feel unable to go? What people are we feet, do we feel unable to touch? Jesus got his hands dirty. He was prepared to touch lepers. He was prepared to eat with the Roman collaborators. He was allowed, he was prepared to allow a prostitute to wipe his feet with her hair. So even those that we think are beyond reform are loved by God, precious to him. And everyone he wants to see set free. So we must not create a culture where anyone is considered outside of God's grace. And we must be willing to put aside the disapproval of others. Where we feel led by God into places that others may feel is not the right place to be. This woman who is afflicted by this, this physical disability. Jesus called her a daughter of Abraham called her related to God because she was, as we all are. And in a sense, as everyone who walks upon this world is, each one is precious to him. So where are you going to go this week? Which boundaries are you going to cross? Who are you going to upset along the way? But who are you going to set free? We're called to repent, to turn ourselves around to the exciting role of being hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We're called to bear fruit of repentance. Glorious acts demonstrating the love of God. And to model it for others. And we're called to take every opportunity to set people free. Those who have been bound up by Satan all their lives. Even on a Sunday. Do you pray with me? Father, you are amazing. The things you call us into. The opportunities you have for us. The, the pleasures of serving you and of bringing your kingdom to this world. Father God, I pray that this week each of us would see the opportunities you place before us. Help us, Lord, to turn our minds around uh, to see those glorious opportunities for you. Help us, Lord, to see the people in front of us as your precious creation that you long to see set free and to bring freedom. And God, I pray, fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we would have the power and the authority to do these things in your name for your glory. Amen.